All right, stand where you are. We're going to pray, and then we'll go to the next thing. Lord God, Heavenly Father, awaken our hearts and make us watchful to serve you and alert to your commands. Awaken in us and root out all half-heartedness. Kindle our hearts, O Lord, for we are ready. Forgive our sins and discipline us. Cleanse us for service in your house. Come, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts and our minds with joy and light and love. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, I'll send, uh, I'll send around, let's see, are these the same? These are the same, so I'll send one that way, I'll send one this way. You only have one new thing, it's on the Holy Supper. You can just sort of have that as a midterm exam. Uh, you know, you can sort of count how many things have gone kind of askew in that. Uh, but chief among them, you see, this is, we've been trying to paint for you what is the great battle. And the great battle is uh, community versus non-community or a modern way versus a postmodern way. I'm curious, uh, I don't remember if they give the ages of the people uh, engaged in that. Pastor Ganey, in that article, do they give us ages, do you remember? Ages? ages of the people who are doing this? Because it, it would be interesting to know the ages of the folks who are engaged in that. But you can just sort of, you know, take that home, take a look at it. This is going to, Catherine, are you here? Where is this going this week, Ghana or Russia? Gone in Westfield House, so if you got uh, 10 cents, if you still have two nickels to rub together, as my grandmother would say about the Great Depression, you know, drop them both in. All right, all right, here we go. Uh, you know, given the world, uh, the, at the beginning of James, uh, wait, let me say one other thing. Two of you have said I was too soft, I was too soft-spoken last week. If you cannot hear me, you just have to raise your hand and say, we can't hear you. We'll turn the mic up. I just, uh, these just aren't the sort of things you yell about. So I, I'm sorry if I drop my voice. Uh, I just often depend on the microphone. The perfect microphone lets you speak in your normal voice and, and you hear it. This has always been a difficult space for that. We've been through two complete new systems since I've been here. Neither one of them have, have performed as promised. So, you know, it is what it is. But uh, on the other hand, I, I don't want you to feel like I'm not, uh, speaking up. So I'll, I'll do my best. On the other hand, you know, this is uh, about your normal life. And if you're in my office talking about this, I hope I wouldn't yell at you. The, uh, if, you if I can be as bold as to say, uh, this is an exercise in trying to enjoy our present circumstance. Or as James would say, to enjoy the sifting. Uh, count it all joy. You know, reconsider yourself says James, uh, reconsider yourself when you wake up in the morning, rethink yourself as a slave in community. Count it all joy when troubles come. Rethink yourself as a slave in community. Rethink yourself. Uh, rethink the world in which you live and ask whether your normal paradigm for engaging the world is the incarnate, crucified, and resurrected Jesus Christ or if it's what you learned at your office at work or your original sin, or anything in the way of the law that's utterly in the way of the law rather than a properly divided law and gospel. Ask yourself how you engage the world. And in the most difficult circumstances, ask yourself whether you can still engage the world, law, and gospel right. So sometimes we hate the law because we never want to hear a, a, a tough word. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the heresy of antinomianism. That somehow Christians are baptized and then they're perfect. No, they always need to be hemmed in. They always need the boundary. And they always need confession. 
But then, you know, and Gaining did a great job of this this morning, of always saying, you know, the Lord is just standing there giving out his gifts. He's filling your pockets with, uh, it's striking because the first guy in the parable basically gets full retirement. I mean, talk about a golden parachute, 50 years. If you're 20 and you get 50 years of wages, you're done. As I, was, I was recasting this as, as Jesus, the great venture capitalist. And um, a couple of weeks ago in the New York Times Magazine, there was an article on venture capitalism, very interesting, where the guy said, in venture capitalism, to be early is the same thing as being exactly wrong. Which, if you think about it, is exactly true. That applies directly to churches. To be too early with the gifts is the same as being exactly wrong. If the Lord delivers you ten talents and you have no idea what to do with them because you're not mature enough, and you bury them or let them rust, that's the same as being exactly wrong. So is there is this great urgency in your pastors for you to grow up. I am also mindful that if I wasn't a Christian, I'd be a Taoist. And uh, one of my great Taoist stories, the one, the one that I love most, is about a man who, who um, plants rice all day long. And uh, later, when his father comes home, his father has a basket. And he's pulled up all the seedlings out of the, out of the, out of the, out of the paddy. And the son says to the father, this crazy old father, why did you do that? And the father says, I wanted them to grow faster. So there is the notion that you can't force growth, that it needs to come naturally. On the other hand, it only comes naturally when you're exposed to the elements which nourish you, which then, you know, is why you're in church and say your prayers and read your scriptures and come to the Eucharist every week as the Lord prescribes, every day. You starve to death otherwise and you never grow. So it is this difficult thing where the Lord gives all that he gives you um, and then if you don't make good use of it, it's on you. It's not on him. And James is all about that. Wake up in the morning, rethink yourself, rethink your world. Now I'm just turning the page. I'm still under number one. And then go out and engage your everyday life. The rhythm, the discipline, the obedience, the gospel, the openness. And so often in the church, what people think about the church is exactly opposite what the church is. People think of the church as a place where we're like this or where we're better than other people or we're going to give you a lot of rules or no this is the place where we give you ten talents and five you know what and if you're weak maybe just one but according to your the Lord doesn't give you gifts you couldn't possibly use he sort of sizes you up and gives you what you've got and then the goal of that is the return to Eden so that's point number one I've worked all the way through that at the, at the page of what you have, is, which is page 24, kind of the second bullet point, we all face death. And um, death is a good thing in this sense, that it evens up the score. There are some of you who are rich, some of you are poor, some of you are struggling right now, some of you are not. Uh, but remember that, um, and, and James is just real brisk about this, wealth can be a community breaker. Uh, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you let it possess you rather than possessing it, Okay. And it's a great one. I mean, money is just, you know, when Jesus says where your heart is, there your treasure is, you know, or where your treasure is, there your heart is. So if it's all about money, that's where your heart is. I mean, it just, it is what it is. If it's about your child, if it's about yourself, if it's about your job, 
Whatever it is, wherever you're, wherever you're treasured, there your heart. What, what James is trying to do is remind people of that and rearrange you. Money is the easiest one because money is the thing that people are most given to because in our society, money translates into almost anything you want. You can buy almost anything except, of course, the thing that's most important. So uh, the encouragement was to rearrange your life. Okay. So now I give you the text, which is James, if I'm kind of at verse 13, but I'm going to read you from 9 while you get your, just kind of listen in, get your text in front of you, James 1, 9. Uh, And and just let me remind you, James, slave, greetings, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials and temptations. That's verses 1 and 2. And then I just handed out to you verse 9. Let boast the lowly brother in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. If you want to boast in something, boast that there'll be a day when the Lord will even the score. Because like a flower of the grass, he'll pass away. You're going to drop dead someday. And you should let that relativize your life. Uh, If you haven't started thinking about dropping dead, you should probably start thinking about it. Because that'll straighten up a lot of how you engage the world. Um... You should hear that in the way of the gospel. I, I was just utterly struck this morning at the Eucharist, how often we say, with angels and archangels in the company of heaven. Um, you know, Ganey told this story at, at uh, and I, I apologize, that although I know the family well enough, I don't think they'll worry, but um, we saw, you know, Grandma Monty last week and, and uh, gave her the commendation of the dying and had the Eucharist, which she couldn't receive because uh, she was near to coma. Uh, but it was interesting, because as the family left the room, reflexively, as we said goodbye, we both said, see you next week at the Eucharist. It was just like, that was just a very interesting moment, you know. That's just where we're oriented. You know, and we did, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Gathered from the ends of the earth, we pray. You know, that's what it's all about. So, um, someday, you know, but until then, as Wright said, the life after life after death. We've got you saved, you know. Pretty much, if you're in this room, we're, we're, we're probably doing your funeral. But uh, that's the bare minimum. What's the maximum? What's the full blast, you know? Again, yesterday, there must have been 50 people next door. The sledgehammer was the most popular implement, <laughs> followed shortly by the lifts that went to the ceiling. There was a special gnosis, the special knowledge of those who could make the lift go all the way to the top. You wanted to make friends with somebody who could do that. If you couldn't do that, you just get close to a sledge. There was one point where there was one guy breaking a wall and 12 guys watching. <laughs> it's like the guy from, you know, the guy who puts on these cage matches says, you know, if you have a, in any neighborhood in America, if you have basketball on one side of the street and um, football on the other side of the street and they're playing pickup games, if a fight breaks out, everybody stops and watches. It was like that. That's why he said, that's why I'm in the fight business. That's what everybody, well, the sledgehammer business is, you know, that's the place to be. Break stuff. Ah, for the sun with its scorching heat withers the grass, the flower falls, the beauty perishes. So will the rich fade away in the midst of his pursuit. But, and then you're reminded, this is Beatitudes talk, blessed. How Jesus started Matthew 5. And remember that the Beatitudes are autobiography. Jesus is telling you about himself in Matthew 5. He's the ultimate meek. He's the ultimate lowly. He's the ultimate persecuted. He's the ultimate reviled. 
That's, that's autobiography in Matthew 5. He's telling you, it's not about you should all be meek, you should all be lowly, you should all be humble, you should all be persecuted. He's telling you about himself. And then, of course, as the Eucharist is put into you today, he gathers you into himself. He makes you his body, 1 Corinthians 11. You receive the body, you've made one body. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life. To which you should say, well, how do I do that? And the answer is, James is a bishop. And you pay attention to your bishop. He tells you. He tells you in the next verses exactly what it looks like. First, don't whine. You know, verse 13. When you're tempted, don't say you got this from God. You know, don't, don't say that God tempts you. Let no one say, and he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. So I'm at the top of page 25. The way it is now was not our Lord's way. That you have to enjoy, that you have to grit your teeth, that you have to grind your way through the struggle, was not the way it was in Eden. It was not that way in Eden. In Eden, what it was to be human was to be free and yet to be perfectly aligned with God in your will, with your hands, with your feet, with your words. They walked together in the cool of the day. They walked step by step. And that story, when, they, when, when the Lord has to cry out, where are you? I mean, he knows they're not there. They used to walk together. They don't walk together anymore. Why? Because now human beings are out of step. You know, and it's so embarrassing they have to hide themselves. So the Lord is holy and he's untouched by evil. And never ever say that wrath is in God's nature. That's a popular Lutheran heresy, but it is not true. God hates, uh, but he hates only when you force him to hate you. There was no hate in Eden. And there won't be any hate in heaven. And God hates only when you make him hate you. When he says A and you say not A, if he doesn't hate you, then he ruins his own nature. Holiness is this thing that can't be part way. There's no part wayness, which is why when Jesus gives himself and his gifts to you, he gives all his gifts so that it's full blasted, you know, back to Eden kind of talk. That's why we did Romans 6 in the new members class yesterday. God picks you up in one place, the cemetery, and he puts you in another place, the new Eden, and then he says, you're just like Christ to me. You're just like a son to me. So the Lord is holy, and he's merciful. He only intends good for you, okay? And what he really wanted was for you to live in community, to enjoy him and each other and beautiful things and eat well and smell wonderful things and hear beautiful things and see things you can't possibly believe. Um, we have a, a little girl in the congregation who's just had ear, again, I, I think I know the family well enough, I can say this, just had cochlear ear implants. And um, one day she couldn't hear, and now she's going to be able to hear. But the doctors kindly, they turn them up bit by bit so that she eases into her new world, not having heard before. And sometimes I wonder if heaven will be like that. Yeah, there'll, there'll sort of be a novice ring where you sort of you know, ease into <laughs> the, the things that are too wonderful for you to, you know, your eyes will hurt. You know, I mean, probably not, but I just, you know. 
It's frightening when things are that beautiful. So to be human is to be free. So where did evil come from? You know, all this talk about where evil, where did evil come from? Why is God, where did evil, it came from you. Take responsibility for it and stop blaming it on other people. The evil came from you. You were free and it was a bad love. You loved the wrong thing. You love yourself. You love things. Anything that doesn't directly love God perfectly is a bad love. So you start with, um, you know, this is St. Augustine, and sometimes Luther tussles with him. But as far as this goes, it's a pretty valuable way to talk about things, which is you were meant to love God and then rejoice in all his gifts. But when you divert your eyes and love the gift instead of the God who gave the gift, when you love the talent rather than the master who gave the talent, when you love the possession rather than the God who gave the possession, then the world crumbles, okay? So don't blame it on anybody else. It's a misdirected love. It puts you above other things. It's a miserliness of the spirit, and it fractures the universe. That's what broke Eden. Now, this is really important. This is, this is how you get into it. And knowing this, then you'll know how to get out of it. This is extraordinarily apropos to where we are in the life of our church. By the way, uh, if you read Dilbert last Sunday, which now hangs on the board outside my office, um, you know, there's wisdom in many places. I just give it to you in that way. Okay, now James 1, 14 and 15. Just look at this. You got it on your sheet. Each person is, and I, the reason I rewrite them this way is so that you can, you can see the verbs. Each person is... Tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So here it is. Tempted, lured, enticed, desired, conceived, birthed, sinned, and death. That's one normal description of temptation. So I'm going to go through that very slowly, and that's at point number four. Okay. So just kind of look at each of these words. Tempted means when you want to try something. This is the, if all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge too thing. This is exactly what this is. When you say to yourself, I think I'll try that. Or, or I think I'd like to give that a go. Sometimes in a backhanded way, people will tempt this. I'm sure you've had in your, in your life at some point where somebody say, will say to you, how do you know you don't like it if you haven't tried it? Or how do you know it's bad if you haven't given it a go? To which even Plato could say, uh, long ago, far away, I remember him saying, a good physician doesn't have to experience every disease to know how to cure. Because there's some things that are just deadly. You try this, and that's the end to you. I was, sex is such an easy one. I was grateful in the right book, where one of the good things about the right book is that sometimes there are these pungent things where he said, you want to know why you don't have sex with people you're not married to? Because sex cuts a path to your soul. Boom. There, that's ten words or less what you can tell your kids. Because sex cuts a path to you. Because there's something about sex that does something to you that nothing else does to you. In the way I think that smoking crack does something to you. In a way that nothing else does to you. Right? I mean, there are just things in life that do, that they just affect you from the very first time they touch you. Okay? So the first thing is, is you have this temptation to misdirected love. You know, just, you know, just, you know, just try it, just give it a go. 
So uh, if you can kind of look at your text and look at number four at the same time. So you're tempted. That is, you're thinking, ah, I should probably give that a go. Or wouldn't it be good for me to try that? This is nothing other than Eden, the forbidden fruit. The Lord says, don't take that. And he takes a walk by himself. And then the, the, the devil, what is the devil's temptation? You should really have a go at that. Okay? And you're a dead man the minute you say, okay. So tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That's almost the same way, uh, same word two times. That's the word for when you lure an animal out. It's like when you bait, you throw bait in a trap. You know, this thing, you know, you, you take it and then suddenly you're dangling upside down by one leg. It's also the word um, used for a whore. Uh, when she draws people in. You know, men are utterly susceptible to this, you know. It is, it is all the things that are done from speaking to seeing to listening that it's exactly the same word. You're just, and, the, and you're, if you've read Proverbs, you know, you're, you're dead. You're dead when this happens to you. If you pause to smell the bait, you're dead, which is why the scriptures say so often, flee immorality, flee sin. You know, don't stand around and see if it'll work out for you. Or maybe you'll be the only one ever who doesn't fall. Yeah? Maybe you'll be the only one ever who can have all the possessions in the world and not be possessed by them. But I doubt it. Okay? So you're tempted, you're lured, you're enticed. And then you desire it. Suddenly, when you hang around it, you want it. So everything is a craving for what lies beyond the boundary. And this is utterly important. You know, the Lord says, you know, here's the boundary. Don't go past it. It's not that I don't love you, but this is not good for you out here. Just don't go past this line right here. Which you would say, hopefully, is thank you very much. You know, if somebody says to you, you know, don't, don't hit your thumb with a hammer, you probably should say thank you. Now, if you want to hit your thumb with a hammer, with that big sledgehammer that was going, I mean, just put your thumb right up against that cinder block wall. I mean, go ahead. If you, we're not going to stop you. You know, we can't force you not to do it, but I can tell you, I've seen people who've hit their thumb with a sledgehammer before. I mean, the result is probably going to be the same and not that great, okay? So I just, you know, the Lord is just being kind to you. That's why you have to be able to think of the Ten Commandments as a gift to you. The Lord says, here's, you know what will really go wrong if you stop coming to church? You're so weak, you need the church every week at least. You need the Eucharist once a week. And if you say, well, I just, you know, once a month or Christmas and Easter, the Lord will say, well, you know, okay, but this is not going to go well for you. You know? You want to ruin your life? Sleep with somebody else's wife. Or steal from work. Or lie about somebody. Because it always comes back, okay? You know what's so interesting is the next word, which is, you know, you always like it when you learn something. So you're tempted, you're lured, you're enticed, you desire... And when it's conceived, you know what, this is so interesting, because it's, it's a very interesting analogy. It's, just, it's about giving birth, and that's normally how we, we sort of think. So you get this little sin, and it turns into a big sin. And that's true. But it's so interesting that the word for conceive is the same word for being put into prison. And it actually means being put into prison before it means conceiving a child. 
Okay, so you can read the text this way. You're tempted, and then you're lured, and then you're enticed, and you let that grow, and it imprisons you. Now you're caught. Okay, now you're caught. The great failing in the church, among the great failings in the church, is that pastors don't tell you why you shouldn't do particular things. It's not enough for you as a parent or me as a pastor to simply say to kids, don't have sex with your girlfriend on a prom night. I need to tell you why that is. This is the reason why, because men and women are meant to be an icon of how Christ loves the church. Okay, so that's the first reason that any man-woman relationship is meant to be in the image of Christ in the church. The second reason is, in fact, that the way we're constructed, it does, in fact, cut a pathway to our soul. That should be enough for any kid. That should be enough for any of you. That should be, you know, I don't know that, you know, the church ever caught up with the 60s. I don't, I don't know why it takes 50 years to say that, but, you know, you should know why you shouldn't lie about other people. Because ultimately, the Lord will turn your tongue to ash. You know, if you don't value speech any higher than that, there'll be a day when you won't speak, or the only speaking you'll do will be, you know, in the weeping and gnashing and teeth sort of screaming that's in the gospel for today. These things ruin you. You think you can ruin somebody else by lying about them? It comes right back at you. You can't touch evil without it having an effect. That's why, you know, that's why the Catholics have a special group of guys who are exorcists. They have special training. They go to special masses. They have special disciplines. Because you can't get close to evil without it raging you. I think I've told you the story. I, 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 you know, I have a friend. You know, the, at first, the exorcist of the story was a story about a missouri Senate boy, not about a girl. It's a true story. And I have a friend who I met later in life, was a classmate at Stanford, who married a woman later in life whose priest was one of the priests who did those exorcisms. And at 24, uh, he went to bed one night and he woke up the next morning completely gray and was gray the rest of his life. Now you can believe that or you can not believe that, but I know the guy who knows the guy. <laughs> so, you know, do what you want with that because evil is a potent kind of force. And I think so often we just think that that's child's play. What he's trying to tell you is evil, you, you don't goof around with this stuff. You don't self-medicate if you're an amateur, you don't engage. You know, this whole notion of kids going to camp, and the, every camp, summer camp I've ever known that's a Christian camp always does one exorcism over the course of the summer. Idiots. Because, you know, that's the last thing anybody should be goofing around. That's why you don't go have your, your, your tarot cards read downtown in Wheaton, this Christian community where you can have your cards read. If you do that, you're a witch. You know, you just don't, you just don't engage those things. Why not? Because they will possess you, they will ruin you, they will control you. And when you're controlled by that, you're not controlled by the Lord. So stop before you start. Reconsider your life. Wake up in the morning. Think about yourself. I'm a baptized child of God. Think about your world. It's all about incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. Think about how you're going to live today as one who, sh who bears in the body, as Paul says, the wounds of Christ, and not what you learned at your last seminar or saw on Oprah. We have a different way of engaging the world. 
Okay? It's extraordinarily important because um, the word for sin, which it's, it's, it's interesting how in some ways it is a very gentle word. It's the word for when an archer shoots, but he misses the target, misses the bullseye or misses the target. In some ways, you know, we're sort of used to saying, well, you missed. And in some circumstances, that's the right thing for us to say. But it's really interesting that the first meaning is to lose your share in something. You actually lose your part of it. You understand what that means? You can, under, you can, you can show up here every Sunday and you know, go through the motions. But really, honestly, without this, what James the bishop is saying is that if you allow yourself to be tempted, if you engage it, if you're lured away by it, if it imprisons you, and it gives full blast birth to sin, you lose your share in the community. You lose your share in the Eucharist. You lose your share of the new Eden. It's extraordinarily serious stuff, which is the way, which is the reason that the church is all about a disciplined obedience, the repeated exposure to grace. You can't be absent and be part of the church. You can't speak ill of people and be part of the church. You can't be a miser and be part of the church. At some point, you know, as in the gospel for today, we read them every year at this time in the year. At some point, Jesus comes back, and that's it. I've often thought, that sudden deaths are blessed deaths. Because wherever you were with a person, that's what it was. A sudden departure, in some ways, is the most realistic departure. Whatever your last encounter was, that's what it was. It's not about you know, going to a deathbed and squaring things up, although I do know that where I was previously. <clears throat> there was a guy who they called the dark priest. Um, he was an old man, a crusty old guy, beaten down by the evil of the years. But across denominations, not just the Catholic priests in the area, but other guys, when they had a particularly difficult thing, would call the dark priest. He was the guy who engaged the most horrible things and could somehow live to tell about it and prescribe a way out for people. Uh, and there were times where even, he was a Catholic priest, but there were times when he even prescribed things for my members where he would say, this needs to be squared up, this happened, this child was abused, somebody had an affair over here, this happened to you, people have made a deathbed confession, this is how everything gets squared up. When you saw that, you kind of stood back and you let him work because he was squaring things up, which otherwise would destroy people. When sin's not rooted out, it just continues to fester and it ultimately destroys. Um, someday when I'm not on the microphone, I'll tell you more stories. <laughs> but in consolation and always um, leaving with the gospel, if you've got a Bible, spin it open to Psalm chapter 1. The very first psalm is nothing other than this chapter, okay? Psalm 1, and this will be it then because we've got to go. Blessed, and immediately you should go, ah, oh, James, ah, oh, the Beatitudes. Well, before, and, and then you should say, ah, oh, all, all, the, all the Psalms belong on Jesus' lips before they belong on my lips. Blessed, 
Blessed is Psalm 1, blessed is Jesus in Matthew 5, blessed is James. Blessed is the man. Now see, here's the antidote. Here's the other side. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I tell you, that's exactly what James is just describing. That's the luring and the enticing and the giving in. So what happens? You're on your way, do, 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 do. And what are you supposed to do? Flee immorality. Flee sin. But what happens? You're walking along, and suddenly you stop and stand. And then you sort of look and engage. And then you sit down and become part of it. And then you're finished. Not for good. There's always the Eucharist. But it is very difficult to extract people once they have a sin that possesses them. Um, I wrote in my margin as I prepared this morning, the guys let me work a little bit longer in the first service. Um, I wrote at the top of page 26, sin is its own form of addiction. Okay. Blessed is the man who walks not in the council. Don't walk with it. You know, when your parents said to you, you know, you're not walking out with those little hoodlum friends of yours. Okay, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, doesn't stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. Boom, boom, boom. It's very difficult to get people back once they fall. It's the first rule for every vicar. You don't get out of trouble, you stay out of trouble. Don't get out of trouble. Don't get in trouble and then run up and try to get me to fix it. Just don't get in trouble. You don't get out of trouble, you stay out of trouble. It's the first rule of life. You don't get out of trouble, you stay out of trouble. Okay? But his delight, his joy, his beauty, his love is in the law of the Lord. And you have to hear law, there is Torah in the giving, ultimately in the ten words and going to the promised land. The most delightful thing is to go to the promised land. And on his Torah, his gospel, his gift, he meditates day and night. There you go, daily devotions, morning and evening, just like the catechism says for all you good Lutheran types. You know what he's like? He's like a tree that gets planted by streams of water. See, first the water. Then he yields his fruit in due season. Ah, he flourishes. Be patient, old man. The rice will come up when it comes up. His leaf doesn't wither. You should be hearing in that Jesus talk about the guy who scatters seeds and some of it grows up and then withers in the heat of the day. Or you should be hearing James say, you know, the sun comes up and burns up men and all their possessions. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. They're light. They're breezy. And ultimately, they can't control their own destiny. One of the things about sin is it makes you feel strong. You lie about somebody, you control the moment. Right? You're miserly, there's more for you. You stay home on Sunday, ah, man, is the weekend long. It is long. I mean, if you don't come at 6 o'clock on Saturday and 7.45, it is a long time. Right? Like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation, the community of the righteous, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Okay? For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So there you go. Um, don't say I haven't been warned. And don't say you haven't been blessed. 
It's Jesus, it's James, and it's all Psalm 1. They all say the same thing, which is all, you know, then pretty good data. Okay? Let's pray and let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.